Welcome to the Change is Possible podcast on Blog Talk Radio. My name is Jeff Brandler, and I am pleased to be on Blog Talk Radio, where I can talk to more people and talk about the thing that I like to talk about most, which is change. Because lots of people have issues in their lives that need to change. And on the Change is Possible podcast, it's what we talk about. Because at my website, www.changeispossible.org, it's what we specialize in, what we talk about, is how to make change in everyone's life. As a therapist for the past 34 years, it's what I've seen a lot of, and hopefully I can bring some of that to the airwaves to you. So let's get started. Today's topic is, do I have an alcohol problem? Now, the automatic answer to this question is no. I mean, who wants to have one? The word problem implies needing a solution, which sounds like it needs a lot of work. So no is an easy answer. Do I have an alcohol problem? No. Next topic, please. However, no may not be the best answer. Today, we're going to ask questions, give some examples, provide some information that you need to hear. So if you're a listener who thinks that he or she, that you may have an alcohol problem, pay attention because there's going to be some things that you're going to want to think about and then ultimately do. If out in the listening audience, you're a family member and concerned about someone in your family that may have an alcohol problem, you're going to be listening for some different things, and you may have to make some tough decisions down the road. A person that has an alcohol problem is someone who overdoes their drinking, drinks too much, drinks too often, and gets into too much trouble. Now, I would admit, these are rather subjective qualities. Who is saying too much? Who is saying too often? What is too much trouble? Hence, why this answer, when someone says, I think you have an alcohol problem, their immediate answer is, no, I don't. Thank you. But the no, I don't response brings up a rather interesting issue. Something that we're going to call defense mechanisms. Now you may say, Jeff, what the hell is a defense mechanism? It sounds like something out of March Madness. That we're going to play the man or the zone or the 131. No, that's not what we're talking about. A defense mechanism is a way that we keep ourselves from having pain. It is a protective mechanism that happens automatically that when we feel pain, we block it out. Here's an example. You're at home at night and the phone rings. And it's your Aunt Sarah who says, Uncle Clem just died. Your immediate reaction is, no, he didn't. I just saw him yesterday. He was in great health. In fact, we talked about a whole bunch of things and about that big trip that they were planning down the road and that they were going to retire and move to Florida and buy a condo and all of that. The no, he didn't 
is a defense mechanism known as denial. It is our protective way that keeps us from having pain. In our defense mechanism party, there are always the cousins who accompany denial. They are known as minimization, not so bad, and rationalization. Let's come up with a reason for this. So denial, minimization, rationalization, they are the three horsemen. They are the Green Day. They are the Heim. You only need three of them, but all three of them always come together and always produce a sound and always are protective. With drinking, it's the same thing. If I was at a party last night and got a little tipsy and said something stupid, my first reaction when, when someone comes up to me says, you know, this is how you acted. You're a real jerk last night. My first reaction would be, no, I didn't. Denial. Or explain, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I, I had a cold. You know, I thought I was getting a virus. And, you know, and that's the reason I was so crabby. You know, there had nothing to do with my drinking rationalization. Or, you know, I only had a couple of beers. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Because, hell, you know, I mean, everybody has a few beers, which would be rationalization and minimization. The three horsemen always show up to the party together. They're always there. They're always protecting us, always protecting myself from pain. Because I don't want to have even the inkling, even the smallest of inkling, that I might have an alcohol problem. Because what defense mechanisms do really, really well, again, they protect us from pain. So let's take a short 30-second break, a musical break at that, to listen to a song that describes these defense mechanisms perfectly. That was, of course, Peter Frampton, Do You Feel Like We Do. What other song can start off with all the visual imagery of a person who goes out and has too much to drink, can't remember what they drank, and then has to explain it to themselves and to other people, and then at the end says, hey, but let's do it again. And isn't that a great example of everything we've just spoken about with defense mechanisms? So what is too much drinking? And how do we know that? My definition of too much and your definition of too much may be very different. So what we need is a standard, an objective measure of what too much is. The National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, that's a mouthful, or NIAAA, have come up with the standards. They say that a drink is one 12-ounce beer, one 5-ounce glass of wine, or one shot, 1.5 ounces of liquor. That's our standard. Here's the interesting thing. 
Most people assume when they go to a restaurant and they get a glass of wine, they think it's one drink. Well, not that I go around studying glasses at restaurants, but you'll know that a restaurant glass of wine is greater than five ounces. Or that when you go and order a mixed drink at a wedding, a fair, restaurant, you're getting a drink, but have you ever seen a bartender use a shot glass? I haven't. So with wine and other types of alcohol, we always need to use a conversion factor to determine what a drink really is. This is also true of the 23-ounce beer, which using our conversion factor is really two beers, not one beer. And so our mixed drinks, using our conversion factor, when we recognize after the amount of alcohol that's really in it, is probably closer to two or three drinks, not one drink. Now you can see how this can easily make denial kick in. I only had two drinks. Yeah, but your two drinks are really three drinks apiece. So two times three gives us six. So you, in fact, had six drinks, which then means that your blood alcohol level, the amount of alcohol in your blood, is going to be more consistent with someone that had six drinks, not two drinks. So now we know what a drink is. How can we determine what is too many? The NIAAA, I'm so impressive when I say that. The NIAAA says that heavy or at-risk drinking is defined as, for men, more than four drinks on any day or 14 in a week, and for women, more than three drinks on any day or seven Per week. So my cap number for any drinking event is four. Three if I'm a woman. And my weekly output cannot be greater than 14. Seven if you're a woman. Now, for an average person, these sound like very reassuring numbers. Because an average person probably does not have four drinks at a, at a sitting and probably doesn't have more than 14 in a week. We're good. But for a person who may have a drinking problem, those defense mechanisms are kick-starting right now as we speak. You can just hear them turning and turning and turning. Who are these NIAAA people anyway? I can totally hold my liquor. I've never had a problem. And I'm a better person with at least six drinks in me. In fact, I even bowl better. I play golf better. I'm just so much better with more alcohol in me. The numbers, however, are the numbers. And they are good indicators of problem drinking. They are also good indicators of what we call tolerance. Now, tolerating a bad rom-com with your significant other or family dinner with your Aunt Edna may require alcohol. Hopefully not. But that's not the tolerance we're talking about. In this case, tolerance is the ability to drink more and more in order to get a certain effect. 
in the beginning, I have a couple of beers, two or three, I get a buzz. Then it requires three or four, four or five, etc. At this point, we can say that my tolerance is going up. If a person is drinking four drinks, that's four real drinks at a sitting, conversion factors completed, and they are not an NFL lineman, sumo wrestler, or other very large person, four drinks is a good amount of alcohol. If the person is functioning well with four or more drinks, it is likely that they either have or are developing a tolerance to alcohol. Another issue that can occur with volume of alcohol being drank is a loss of memory. Many people have had a night where they got totally blotto drunk and have little memory of what happened or what they said. When the brain is saturated by alcohol, it shuts off. It may shut off for a short period or may shut off for a longer period. Clearly, these memory lapses or blackouts are not good things for your alcohol resume. They are indicative of the heavy drinking category that the NIAAA speaks about. Again, those defense mechanisms are kicking in quickly. I've never had a loss of memory. Everybody gets that now and again. It tells you that you had a good time. Bottom line, it's a good indicator of too much alcohol. One other potential issue related to having an alcohol problem is that nasty word control. Now, control is probably one of those seven-letter words that everybody wrestles with from time to time in lots of different ways. Whether it's food or work or just the world we live in where we have very little, control is a tough word when we talk about alcohol. People tend to drink too much the same way. Some people will overdrink on the weekend, the so-called weekend warriors, because that's what you do. Some people will drink too much at a wedding because they're having a good time. Some people like nothing better than to tailgate at a concert or a football game. These are standards in our society. It's no harm, no foul. I'm having a good time. Everybody knows what I'm doing. There's no pain. There's no consequence. I'm in total control. And my decisions to drink are good and sound. We're all good here. No problems. However, there are people who drink in a very unpredictable, almost random kind of roulette pattern. They don't know from one episode to the next how much they would drink. On occasion, a night of going out for a couple of beers turns out to be a drunk fest. Other times they go out for a couple of beers. It's hard to know. It's like roulette. You never know where the ball's going to land. But that's their pattern. These folks can go for weeks or even months between their unexpected overdrinking episodes. They can't explain it. No one can explain it. But it's rather odd and peculiar. It's as if a switch that usually goes off in their brain that says, oh, time to stop drinking, decides to go on holiday. With that switch wide open, excess drinking occurs. Now, these people have control over their drinking, except when they don't. 
That's not double talk. That's exactly factual. The control, except when you don't, is another thing you don't want on your resume because it indicates that you have no idea how any drinking episode will end up. It is this roulette. Anything can change from day to day, from episode to episode. If you drink like that, you have to rationalize it. It's necessary to rationalize it. I mean, how can you explain that on Tuesday you have two beers and on Thursday when you plan to have two beers you had six beers? It'd be like deciding to drive home one day and then drive 500 miles in a totally different direction. It's totally ridiculous to do that. But when you're drinking, having this loss of control, this roulette pattern, it's pretty scary and hard to look at. So after all of that information, I think we need a break. Let's take a one-minute break to listen to some good words from a treatment program in Florida called Genesis House. Genesis House is a premier substance abuse and rehabilitation facility located in beautiful Palm Beach County, Florida. We have been providing the highest quality of addiction treatment since 1992 and are accredited by the Joint Commission. We offer a range of programs that include detox, residential treatment, dual diagnosis, a Christian track for people who want to incorporate their faith into treatment, a uniform services track, and we work with most major insurance carriers. Genesis House is led by a dedicated team of administrative and clinical professionals, and we stand on our commitment to excellence in recovery services. Contact us today to find out more about our program. Take the first step and call Genesis House at 800-737-0933 or visit us on the web at www.genesishouse.net. That's 800-737-0933 or www.genesishouse.net. Begin your journey to a long and successful recovery with Genesis House. Back from the break, thanks to Genesis House for telling us about their services. So before the break, we covered what is a drink, how much drinking is too much, what is tolerance, what are blackouts, and what are losses of control. Wow, that's a chunky section to digest. Feel free to go over that part again if you're feeling overwhelmed. So we looked at some things that occur during drinking, but most of what determines whether a person has a problem with drinking doesn't occur by itself. I mean, I guess it does if you live by yourself, drink by yourself, and are self-employed. Since most people don't live in a cabin in the woods someplace, my apologies to my listeners who are tuning in from their cabin, But drinking usually occurs around others. And it is that interaction with others that usually defines what an alcohol problem is. Let me say that again. The amount of alcohol, the frequency of alcohol, the type of alcohol, are not the only factors that determine what is problematic or what is not. Generally, the blackouts, loss of control, roulette pattern of drinking occur with others. It is these interactions with others that make a problem a problem. If I have four drinks in an hour's time and go to drive my car, my interaction with the police department will be become quite problematic. 
They will pull me over, give me a breathalyzer, which I will fail very badly, and assuming that I don't act stupider with the police, I will have a very documentable DWI on my drinking resume. A loss of license fine surcharges is a good example of drinking that is problematic. Here's another example. Let's say that I'm at a party with my partner and I'm having a good time. I'm drinking and having to care in the world. So far, so good. However, as the night gets later and later and my volume of alcohol increases, all of a sudden, mild-mannered funny person becomes the beast. It's as if I was infected with a virus and become a different person. Funny becomes louder. mild manner becomes obnoxious. Laid-back disappears. Comments that might have been humorous earlier take on a hurtful tone. Requests by my partners to stop are ignored or made fun of, and my tone becomes condescending and arrogant. It's as if another person is at this party. This personality change is another indicator of having an alcohol problem because it brings in many of the aspects that we talked about earlier. At this point, I'm displaying a tolerance to alcohol. I've entered into the heavy drinking zone. And depending on what happens after the drinking event, I may or may not remember what I said or did at the party. Alcohol problems are most notable because they involve the interactions with others. Other people are affected by my drinking. Whether it's the legal system, partner, friends, co-workers, or total stranger, my drinking invades other people. In fact, in the worst of DWI fatalities, the other person was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Depending on what happens and how I'm feeling, I may have all kinds of feelings about this episode. If I'm a decent, caring, and moral person, I might feel guilt and shame and remorse and self-loathing about my behavior, about the things that I said, about the things that I did. There might even be a promise that this will never, ever happen again. However, when this happens again, and again, and again, and again, what do I do with these feelings? What do I do with the, I can't believe I did it again? What's wrong with me? How could I have possibly done it again? I said I wasn't going to do it again, and I did it again. What do I do with all these feelings? Well, I have a very simple answer. Who do you think shows up to protect me from these feelings? Yep, you got it. The three horsemen, denial, rationalization, and minimization occur to make this all seem so much better. When the three of them show up, what does this allow me to do more of? Drink. Alcohol problems are not acute in nature. They are chronic. It takes a while to get there. It's weeks and months and years of continual issues and drinking episodes before anyone will label this an alcohol problem. 
Even after someone has labeled this, my defense mechanisms will keep me drinking. I'll blame others, defend myself, rationalize everything, justify the legality of drinking in the United States, and above all, yell from the highest mountain that life is too short. So what's the problem? The problem is that alcohol destroys. It destroys relationships. It destroys jobs. It destroys people. It destroys what makes us who we are. It can destroy life, but life gets destroyed usually over years and years. It makes people the walking dead. Here are some final thoughts about today's topic. The best part of what we've discussed today on the Change is Possible podcast is that an alcohol problem does not have to destroy anything else. If you have a problem or think you might have a problem or even a small thought somewhere in your brain that maybe you have a problem, talk to someone who can help you to change this. After listening to today's show, if you've recognized the loved one who has some of these traits, find someone that you can talk to who will understand. You might rationalize, this is not my problem, why should I talk to someone? However, talking to someone who understands you and understands this problem might help both you and your loved one. Feel free to contact me at my website, www.changeispossible.org, with questions or comments. In our next episode, we will continue our conversations about drinking problems and ask the question about how people can get sober. Till then, remember, change is possible.